0: It's episode 156 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Steve Rowe.
1: Yeah!
0: Hello, Woo. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on. How has... The global pandemic, (laughs) been a hoopla.
1: How's it been? Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it, really? Um, I mean, I think the same as uh, most improv companies and probably any small company around the world. uh, We've gone through various stages. So I think back in January and February, that's very much at the denial phase. You know, you saw things pop up in the news. Um, but you know, as far as I was concerned, you know, pandemics with things that happened in other countries didn't last long and you know, just weren't a modern times thing. You know, obviously that that all those assumptions and prejudice were entirely wrong, <laughs> it's now turned out to be. <laughs> but I think like most I don't think I don't think any even major companies, I don't think anyone really plans around in their long-term plans a possible pandemic i think maybe there's an exception of wimbledon tennis um had pandemic insurance and really lucked out this year and got loads of money from their insurance company and so whatever accountant they have there is probably um, being promoted i think they're like probably like one of the few events companies that are absolutely uh, financially fine from all this uh then when it got to march um you know, at the start of March, it was still a bit like that, but then it, it rapidly became apparent over the month that, uh, you know, something was up and um, I had to go through that stage of transitioning from denial to acceptance, I suppose. Um it's all very confusing, actually. I mean, it feels like ages ago now, doesn't it? Because we're in July now, but it actually wh- all happened very quickly. Um, so remember, there's one particular week where... Um, you know, we were just like, oh, I don't think we should run anymore. Just come talking to students, performers and everything. Um, and then, I mean, and then we we closed down. And actually that was before uh, the theatre lockdown was announced. So it felt a bit weird because it felt like we were having to make, I think a lot of theatre companies felt like this at the time, felt like we were having to make decisions for ourselves rather than um, having particular strong guidance. But then the official lockdown kicked in. I think about two weeks afterwards. So yeah, I'm glad we I'm glad we did that. Um if anything, with hindsight, it probably would have been right to lock down improv a bit sooner. Um, but I mean, then again, at, at the time it was just very, very confusing. And then and then after that, you know, went through that weird phase of like a lot of people, of a week of just I, I mean, I used improv in it, I have to admit. I was like, <laughs> you know. I don't often use improv for a life philosophy, but I was like, right, if it was, what would it help in this situation? I think the main thing was the like acceptance, even if the offer you're getting from the world isn't particularly a good one. Like I don't, you know, I don't want this to be happening. You know, I had plans for the year and I don't I don't want them to be fucked up by this. But what did help me to get through that was to be like, right, let's just have a moment of grief and just accept that this is going on. And also except you know, it could be a lot worse. It's like people are in a lot worse positions. And then, you know, you just, then you yes and it, you'd be like, right, if this is happening, how can I make the most of it? And how can I, you know, try and carry on as best we can? And then like a kind of miracle, actually, like online improv became a thing. So that was pretty much within a week. I remember seeing the Hideout Theatre in Austin, Texas. They They kind of like, locked down and their live shows were online. It felt like within a day. And I was, I mean, I was at home feeling really ill and feeling like not particularly happy. And then I was like, bloody hell, that was quick. (laughs) They just invented this whole art form. And then um, the nursery and the Maydays were doing online improv and then they kind of all paved the way. And then before you knew it, like every improv company around the world was uh, doing online improv and it all happened Felt like with the, I got I don't even know because it was such a confusing time, but I think it all span around in about a week. So I'm glad we did. I remember lying in bed thinking like, "Am I going to bother doing online improv? Is it going to be fun? Or should we just you know back then people thought it might just be a lockdown for like two weeks, you know us included. We were like, "Well, it's just be a, a minor hiccup." But then I remember thinking, "You know, I'll give it a go just in case these things this carries on for a lot longer than planned." Uh, and actually, I was pleasantly surprised. Like right from the first workshop, I was I was pleasantly surprised at like how fun it could be. I think that was a a big thing for us to be like, you know, let's not just do it as a a poor alternative to real life improv, but like let's try and make it even more fun in its own special way. And there are some times when I'm on quite well, a lot of times when I'm on the like, online online drop-ins or classes where I'm laughing a lot. Like my neighbours even talk to me over the fence. They're like, what do you do in your little room? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they can hear me like having a laugh and there's a lot of banter and things. And um, <laughs> we've actually had some some really good times. And the other thing it's helped with Hoopla actually is it's helped me as the director of Hoopla. It's helped me like define uh, better for the long term what Hoopla is and what we're going to do in the long term. Because um, before then, you know, <clears throat> we were doing a lot Um, and I was actually just going through a stage this year of deciding what we're going to try and do the next like five years or or so Um, obviously a pandemic wasn't part of that but when it happens and you get everything taken away what you get is um, it makes you value things a lot more so I was like right if we can't do everything because you know it's a smaller scale thing this online I was like right what do we do so it's things like having online socials became very important, like making sure it was really fun, making sure it's like open to everybody, like lots of kind of key hoopla values just became even stronger to me. So there's that. And also it's made me kind of value what we're doing before more, because I think before, uh, this is true of anyone organising something, I think. So before, if we have a show uh, and it's busy and people are having a good time, I'd walk in and I I would tend to just be like picking up that, an aircon unit was stuck with a fan facing down on someone. So I'd be like, this person's getting a cold neck. I'd be like, fuck, I need to get through the crowd and fix that. And even if I was on stage, which is why I've stopped performing as much as I used to, is because it's it's quite hard to perform while you're also organising the thing. I remember being on stage once and being like, oh, it's two degrees too hot in here. And then making the excuse to cross the stage in character just to turn the aircon on. And um, so before... What I'm getting at is, I think before, I, I always loved Hitler, but you know, quite often all I'd see was what was wrong and what I needed work on. Whereas when it all stops very suddenly within a week, you, you look back at photos on Facebook or whatever, and you're like, bloody hell, this place was crazy. Yeah. And you see all these photos of like uh, people, all the seats for, and people stood at the sides, and all these festivals uh, that we put on and things like that. And then I realised, actually, it was all really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, and all these minor annoyances that I had uh, were just entirely in, in my head. So, I mean there's something quite stoic philosophy about that, about, like, you know, that whole uh, appreciate what you have once it's gone or once it's threatened a bit. Um, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was... Initially very resistant to the idea of online improv Ah. for me It was very much about you know, the connection you have with somebody in the room And much like this podcast, you know, the first 150 episodes or so It was all about having an excuse to meet somebody face to face make that connection and have a chat Um, But I've actually been a complete convert and Doing online improv has been a lifesaver for me Mm-hmm. in the past few months it's really enabled me to make new friends to feel connected with the world to be able to travel spiritually when i couldn't travel physically mm-hmm. and the, the the scenes and the things i've imagined during improv you know really made my life feel a lot richer and a lot deeper when mm-hmm. otherwise it might just have been me at home not doing very much
1: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Me too. It's made me realise actually from doing it that meeting new people and having new social experiences is is almost, I don't know if there's one overall name for that, but like, I think it's quite a kind of important human thing. Mm. Um, You know, yes, it is. We could all just stay at home and have Waitrose, if we're lucky, uh, deliver food once a week. You know and we and you know maybe go for a, a socially distance run uh once a day if we want to be really healthy and like yeah we'd be fine we wouldn't die and we wouldn't you know you'd be in good health but I think <laughs> I, I don't know if you would be in good health because I think I think meeting different people outside your normal friendship and family group is kind of like an important thing and I think when lockdown started that made it's another thing i realized about hoopla it, it just felt mad i was like to go from running an improv company where i was teaching five days a week um shows once or twice a week plus socials plus the pub after the workshops plus organizing it it's like i was like man I, how many people do i talk to a week i just i couldn't even think about it it's like hundreds and uh you know in a really chaotic and i mean that in a nice way like joyfully chaotic way of like people coming and going and chatting and like and then when you when you cut to like the clinicalness of lockdown, you know, catching up deliberately over Zoom meetings and stuff. You know, I just realised how, how different it is. And I think it's very mentally healthy to be socialising with people from different backgrounds from outside your job and outside your, your normal way of life. And I think, I think online improv is one, um, one of many things that kind of helped that during the, the peak of lockdown. I also think it made me appreciate real improv, like because even when lockdown stops, like if you go to a pub, which I have been to since, since pubs have reopened, I know not everyone's up for that, but I've, I've been to a couple. And <laughs> not, not loads. <like>, not <laughs> but even when I was pub, I was like, oh yeah, even a pub, it's not like you just walk up to the, the table next to you and go, hi, I'm Steve, good to meet you. That just doesn't happen. Like, yeah, there's a bit of banter at the bar. Well, not anymore, there's not. You know, maybe if you know someone, you get introduced to someone. But I was like, uh, even that's not like a sort of speedy community socializing thing. Whereas I think improv really is. And I think, um, you know, I think the other thing that does that, I think, is sports, like team sports. You know, that's probably another area where, you you know, once you're in a certain thing, you can rapidly meet people. But I think there's very few areas of life where that that does happen. Uh, I've mentioned this on podcasts before. But I'm, like, really bad at doing that in real life. My wife's amazing at it. Like, she'll walk along the street and get chatting to a neighbour who's stood outside their house. And I'm like, how do you do that? I don't know how much to talk about. I, like, I I either aren't friendly enough or invite them to a barbecue and scare them off. But (laughs) George, she's got much better, like, finely tuned social skills than me. Whereas I think I, this is from my family, like, I think I have to have, like, a shared interest. Once I'm like, okay, this is a room where we're all interested in I don't know, the films of Stanley Kubrick, then I'm like, bam, now I'm social with Steve. But if I'm just in a room and I'm like, well, I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think improv helps that a lot. And I think it's, uh, it's why I was quite keen to keep Hoopla going as much as I could through lockdown, because I thought it kind of gave me a bit of purpose as well to be like, right, bringing some fun to people and helping people to, um, Yeah, it's had a lot of people who live by themselves, for instance. So it was a fun way to get people together.
0: I'm just interested. So when you're teaching, when you're running an improv workshop online, is your pre-show ritual different when you're teaching online compared to when you're teaching (laughs) face-to-face?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, the main main thing missing is I'd have to be on the train for an hour and a half from Brighton to London. That was my (laughs) usual... (laughs) <laughs> my usual real-life teaching ritual, because I actually live in Brighton, even though it was in London. Um, so usually it was to finish some admin, walk to the station, fight every day to not go into prep and get a pointless sandwich, uh, and either I'd win or lose in that little internal battle, and then sit on a train, and then usually do some sort of like uh, light-hearted admin, nothing too taxing, and then uh, and then walk around London to the workshop, which I really enjoyed, because I um, grew up in London, so I always loved going back there. Uh, so i always enjoy that bit. Uh, yeah and then turning up, real life would be turning up early, getting chairs ready and then usually with about 20 minutes to go I'd usually find this quiet place to lie on the floor with my head on a book or a bottle or something uh, just to kind of lie down and let all, any stresses from the day out so I wasn't taking stress from one event into the, the sort of workshop space. Um, so that's all now been shrunk. <laughs> So if I'm teaching at seven, I just run upstairs and have a lie down for a bit um, and, uh, you know, have a nap, <laughs> to tell you the truth. goes to making me sound like an old man. But basically, just to get rid of um, uh, any stress from, from the day, um, just so that when you turn up, you're just reacting to what's actually there, not projecting um, stresses from one thing onto someone else. That's the main thing. Uh, and also having like a nice drink, like a nothing alcoholic but you know just making a nice sort of berry smoothie or something like that so you're feeling refreshed and healthy hopefully so, so main, mainly so because when people were coming along I was like you know there were times early on where I wasn't feeling particularly great about life because I was being like bloody hell how long is this going to go on for um I was also really unwell as in because I caught I had coronavirus like one of you of one of a Bunch of people who had it, and uh, and so I was main. I was kind of like, right, I've got to take this an hour of space beforehand just so that I'm kind of as upbeat as I can be and and in good spirits because no one wants to arrive to online workshop and be have me being like, hi. Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> So that was it really. And and I think ritual is the right word actually, Stuart. I think yeah, I think um I think it's good to healthy to have good r- rituals that you do before um improv or workshops. I think much like athletes have a, a good ritual before a race, I think, you know, if you learn good habits that you can do to get yourself in a good mental space, I think it's nice to take that responsibility and do it. Yeah.
0: Oh and what what has particularly worked? online in an online improv workshop, possibly more than face to face? You know, what's <laughs> kind of what's really sort of delighted you that you might not have expected to be delighted by? Uh
1: kind of everything. So at the start I I um I thought right, oh let's go through everything that I've done and, and work out what could work online. Uh, and then pretty soon actually I just threw that strategy out the window and instead I was like, right, if this was a normal workshop, what would I do right now? And then work out how to do it afterwards. And I found the best moments actually have become when I've challenged the assumption that something isn't possible online and then I've just done it online and then it seems to work pretty well. So things like at the start, so I've always liked putting, doing a Meissner technique drop-in every once in a while, which I've spoken about in this podcast uh, on a different episode, so I won't, won't go into too much detail about what that is. And that was, I didn't think, so I didn't think that would work because it's it's obviously about, um, it's usually about be, be, people being very close together, emotionally connected, picking up on like the slightest of emotional, social and physical cues from the other person. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd put it on and actually well, it works a treat because, uh, you know, Zoom, you have nothing but the kind of, you basically got in film terms, you've got a medium close-up of the other person in front of you. Um, and uh, in real life, it's actually quite hard to spend that time like looking at someone's face head, shoulders. Um, so that was good and the other thing we w- worked really well about that is we left the view on where you can also see yourself um, because it almost became a metaphor for the fact that the whole point of Meissner is to gradually become less conscious of yourself and gradually more conscious of the other person. Um, and so when you start this off this repetition exercise online with Meisner at first you keep checking in, seeing how you're looking, and eventually that disappears and you become fully focused on that person. Um, and we got, like, quite big emotional reactions from people, so that was really, uh, that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, the other ones is when, anytime we've just been ambitious, I suppose, so, like, there's a drop-in where it's like, right, at half eight, no matter what stage we're at, we're going to just improvise um, a whole half-hour play, multi-scene play, Um And we're not sure how we're going to do it yet, but we're just going to give it a go. And that worked out super well. Um, I think also, I think because it's gone on, so many people used to Zoom now that there's been this sort of suspension of disbelief almost, that like at the start, people were very self-conscious, the time lag was more noticeable, um, and you're very aware that like I'm sitting in a spare room looking at a laptop and you're sitting in a room looking at a laptop. Whereas I think now... Similar to like real life improv, there's that suspension of disbelief. So if, if if you establish that you're in a fairy tale castle, people start acting as if they are and they really believe it. So I think because of that, actually teaching and doing online improv has become a lot easier um, because of that. Uh, and then to answer your question about other things that work better on Zoom, my favourite short form. So I've talked about Meister and uh, long form working well. My favourite short form game is this one called. Household Olympics, which on stage is two people miming some sort of household activity while people commentate on it. But, and that's one that I didn't think would work on, Zine, until, until we realised actually you can just get them to do something for real. So now we get people to run off, grab a real ironing board and start ironing. People are commentating. Um, it's really funny, I had someone doing that the other day and as she was ironing her uh, her four-year-old boy walks across the front of the camera. Uh, her iron wasn't plugged in, but it didn't meet at us this at the time. So she grabbed him and like, put him on the ironing board and started ironing him. <laughs> uh, obviously, the commentators like, <laughs> were just really excited about that. Um, and you get people making cups of tea live, but they, decide, they do it in character and, and this sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, um, that, that works super well.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. And um, also, it's a very efficient use of time if you can attend a, uh, a improv workshop and also get your hoovering done at the same time. That's uh, that's winning at life.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So, do you have a kind of a, a cool down ritual after um, after teaching online? How does that differ to what you might have done in real life?
1: I still say the same. I'm just absolutely exhausted. <laughs> so. My real-life cool-down ritual, I do love the way you get people to reveal their biggest uh, improv secrets. (laughs) My real-life cool-down ritual is to kind of, you know, have a chat with people as they leave, they're off to the pub, and then I say, I've just got to check the venue, um, and i will meet you down there. I I do meet them down there, but checking the venue is kind of a bit of a light, because I could usually just leave straight off, but I usually just lie on the floor, and again, have like a speed, I'm a big fan of naps, basically, Stuart, so I have another speed nap for like 10 minutes and just let anything from the workshop out, just so I go back to being a bit more like normal, um, and then go to the pub. Uh, That's real life. And then, uh, yeah, online, uh, nothing major. Maybe I should have one. I think mainly just to relax straight away afterwards. Like, you know, just turn it off. We usually crash onto the sofa, which is next in the room next door. And uh, early in lockdown, watch Ozark or Netflix. I've Uh, not seen
0: that. Would you recommend that?
1: uh yeah if you want to have like just a sequence of people having nothing but bad events happen to them um it's quite good it's it's like it's so it's so like there's so much bad news happens to everyone in ASOC that it kind of becomes funny and at first I thought it was accidentally funny but I think actually I think it's deliberately funny in places now like sometimes there's just like a character that's been built up for like ages just gets killed and you're like (laughs) like, what They were so good. They they were such a good actor. It's like that like, kill off there, kill off this person. And like literally I was watching it with George, my wife. We're like, nothing good happens to anyone in any of it that, that for like four seasons. Um I think so it kind of crosses from um pathos to bathos. and they're just like, you're just like we just we just like you can't not laugh anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I think it's deliberate. I think it's deliberate because the director used to be in comedy. So I think it's like deliberately a bit funny in places. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my post online ritual.
0: Fantastic. I'm also a big fan of the, uh, the 10 minute nap. Um, (laughs) Tell me what you think the future or you would like the future of improv to (laughs) hold.
1: Yeah. So the future of improv, I mean, sort of different, Depends if you look short term, mid term, or long term. So, first the good news, which is long term. I think the improv scene is going to be not only fine, but I think it's going to be bounce back bigger, better than ever. Um, For I know that seems that an outrageous thing to say, but (laughs) because everyone if if you read in the news at the moment, it's always about the death of theatre and comedy in general. But I really believe that for a couple of reasons. Um, One, because it's happened before throughout history, at least. At least a couple of times so like plagues have happened there have been tons worse than this and theatre always bounces back also if you look at england um i mean i have to say that it does take a while to bounce back sometimes but it does it does bounce back also if you look at england there was a period where um theatres and um plays were actually illegal well i don't know but completely illegal i think they were so it's kind of like the shakespeare could be completely wrong with my dates here so i i know historically Theatre historians out there do list, to correct this. <laughs> I'm not going to put any data. <laughs> there was Shakespeare, right? And and there was a kind of real boom of, of theatre. I mean, even he was coping with like plays going in and out, um, where theatres were bouncing back in and out. But then after that, um, there was a kind of uh, Protestant purist movement where theatre and the arts were largely shut down. They're quite illegal. Uh, I can't remember how long that was for, but it was not a short amount of time. It was, you know, at least... 10 years or so. Um, and that's why when you, you get things bouncing back from that, that's we hear like the term restoration, like restoration theatre and comedy and things like that. So, and that was quite, um, when they were allowed back, even though they'd been almost half a generation where theatre and entertainment had been forgotten, it came back quite full and, um, and quite enthusiastically. Uh, and if they look at places where there's been wars and like, I mean, the theatre industry in London even ran all the way through the Blitz, apparently. But you know, I you know, I personally believe that I've always said this: if you are on a I don't know, let's say a spaceship, like a multi-generation spaceship, and you were like the fourth generation to to live on this spaceship, where and no theatre had been on this spaceship, and you grew up with not even knowing what the term was, or what a play was, or what a sketch was, or what comedy was. I really think that theatre would spontaneously create itself on that spaceship, even in a completely isolated position. I think at some point, um, you know, someone would take the piss out of their boss or the captain and then someone else would laugh. And then before you know it, they'd turn it into a little routine. Um, And I think a lot of things would pop up. Uh, So that's sort of long-term. I think also... Long term, I think what's happened to Hitler would also happen to other comp- companies and improvisers and theatre people, which is when you're forced to stop, it's made us all value what was good about what we did. It's made us all very clear what we want to do when we're allowed to. And it's also made us be a lot more stern about not letting that things back in which we don't want to be there anymore. So like the things were, were not of importance, they're just gone. So I think any theatre company that gets through all this, which hopefully will be a lot of them, I think there'll be a new kind of- very much like creative clarity to them about what they want to do with the audience as well like um you know not not having these things available for you know for quite a long time. I think there'll be a rush back there obviously there's a the problem of like a possible recession and whether people can afford to do things, but i think I think the artistic urge on on both sides like performers artists, teachers, and students is all going to be like higher than it ever was. I think, so, you know, you mentioned it yourself about listening to the online improv. And I think people have been you know, literally locked down and compressed for a while. There's going to, what there's going to be, there's always like a, uh, whenever that happens, there's always the opposite has to happen. It's kind of like a healthy reaction. I always, I often think whatever you make humans do in the week, they're going to bounce back and do the opposite at the weekend. So as we, I personally think even if long term the result of all this is everyone's working online pretty much all the time, I think the last thing they're gonna to want to do at the weekend is stay online. I think I think real life stuff's gonna bounce back like more than ever. Mm. I could be optimistic because that's all in my own personal interests. <laughs> 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 that's what I there is. But that's
0: what I think. Um uh, yeah, if you could maybe talk me through your thoughts on Uh, how improv can come back in the short term?
1: Yeah sure, so everything I was talking about before was like long term, so that's kind of completely uh, Um, post-corona, that's not a thing anymore. In the short to midterm, so let's say over this year, maybe early next, I think it's a bit more tricky. But I think there's kind of three broad factors to consider, which is what we're considering as a company. Um, is, uh, Is it legal, is it safe and is it fun? So. One tricky, and I think actually there's, uh, there are ways that you can cover this at certain months, which I'll go into in a bit more detail. But um, I think one thing that's being tricky for a country as a whole is that, as, as for various reasons, people have lost faith in the government. Legal and safe uh, isn't necessarily the same thing. So I think ideally, as a owner of a small company, which is Hoopler. You know, you shouldn't be usually be expected to become an expert in epidemiology or whatever and and like um, be a a doctor or medicine. Usually, I think how the system is meant to work when you look at it is that the government chooses the best scientists in the country to, uh, to gather together to inform them what is the best thing to do around a scientific problem so that we as a country know automatically whatever the government says is also. The best scientific answer um, and that makes sense because otherwise it's ridiculous that like a news agent would have to suddenly learn everything about um, virus control uh, and medicine in order to decide if they can sell newspapers or not the trouble is that over this year and this is my uh, like personal view and I think uh, I think why there's been a lot of confusion across industries and the, and the theatre industry is there's been quite a few times where people have lost trust in the government, be that Dominic Cummings breaking the lockdown restrictions that he himself invented and communicated, uh, be that uh, SAGE scientists saying something different from what is being communicated from SAGE, you know, the kind of lying about PPE items and, you know, the, the list goes on somewhat and so I think because of that you end up in this weird situation where there's what is legal is not necessarily the same thing as safe anymore and there seems to be a kind of, in certain areas, the government almost wants people to to take more responsibility than I think they should on the or for the individual. But obviously saying that on the other hand it's a very confusing time and no one's ever seen this situation before and so we have to balance like you know what is safe and what is um, you know good for the economy, and the economy isn't just uh, you know distant shareholders in the Cayman Islands. the economy is people's actual jobs and livelihood and being able to like live in a house um, so saying all that it is very confusing, and I think the theater industry especially uh, being one of the last things to come back hasn't had until recently an awful lot of strong leadership on it. So there was no real kind of like, here's the earliest time you could come back. Here's that. There's kind of wasn't really anything. Um, you know, you're asking around and be like, who do we, you're looking to be like, who do we refer to in this situation? And the answer was each other. Um, so there's when it's legal, when it's safe. So there's like legally, uh, it's quite easy to open an improv school again, um, because I think training inside is even legal right now, uh, which is weird, which... So, we could, we, I mean, we could legally just start all our workshops at full capacity um, uh, tomorrow, uh, just, just just making sure we had social distancing in place in terms of where people sat, and also what the game was. So that's the legal side of things. It's not. I don't think it's legal to start performances yet. I think we could do an outdoor improv show with people sat at a distance. Um, but I'd imagine... The other thing the government has a habit of doing at the moment is there won't be much of an announcement about anything, and then it's suddenly like two days' notice. Like, they'll be like, I, I'd imagine that in the autumn, they're suddenly going to announce, Oh, Shays can start next weekend. So, you have to kind of plan predicting what's going to happen, not just uh, acting on what you've already been told. Um, so, there's the legal side of things, and there's, but then there's a the safe thing as well, which is then kind of different because I, you know, sometimes I fear that. Um, a lot of things you see put up in pubs or shops are just to make people feel better but I don't know if they have an effect or not so that's what we have to look into but I think I think some things definitely are reasonable so I think to open up a, a safe improv class I think it's reasonable that it would be uh, have less people um, or in a bigger room or a combination of both just to make sure there's space between them so I think it's got to be one or or the other or both. Like, um, and then I think you'd have to have uh, obviously like good ventilation and things, and and then you'd have to you would have to adapt the games to make sure people aren't like too close together. I think, I think that's, I think that, and then I have to question myself because uh, I'm the director, if who have to take responsibility for that, so I have to think, is that us just making people feel better or is that generally making people feel is that generally making people actually safe safer um and i think it does it's something i'm going to be looking into more this week i think especially when you compare it to other things in life i think a workshop of you know 12 instead of 16 people in a larger room that's ventilated with bigger gaps between them i think that's probably more safe than a socially distanced office. And I think it's probably more safe than a tube train and more safe than a bus and more safe than a pub and more safe than a restaurant. So there you go. So then you think, right, is it safe to come back? Yes. Um, well, it's at least as safe as a lot of other things or more safe than a lot of other things. And I think then we're going to make sure that we give people... So I think it's the other thing about the improper scene at the moment is it's very... It's been there's a divide between people who want to come back now, people who want to come back soon and people who want to come back like not even until there's a vaccine, even if that's like years away, which obviously I think would be the death of the improv scene if we waited that long. Although I can totally understand why individuals might feel that way themselves. So then we're going to aim to give people like full flexibility so that um, I think there'll be an overlap to answer your question about, short-term, mid-term. I think it's basically you're going to see mix, medium, improv. So there'll be some real life, um, some online, some in parks, some, God knows, there'll be something else, something else as well. And I think, I think that's what's going to happen is there's going to be like choice and flexibility. I think probably the same way that uh, you know, drinking has gone that way. If you want to go to the pub right now, you can. If you want to drink in a, uh, you know, in the streets, that's easier than it was before. If you want to drink at home, you can. I think, you know, improv, (laughs) maybe it'll be available on aisle 12 of, of Asda. There'll be like an improv aisle where you can just do a bit of improv in the supermarket. (laughs) Um, And I think that's my responsibility personally, to make sure that if we do uh, bring it back in that short midterm, that we're doing everything not just to be legal and make it feel safe to actually be safe. Mm. Uh, Because if you don't, if you're not safe and you don't feel safe, it's very hard to like relax and enjoy the spontaneity of improv. So then, the last point is like, will it be fun? Because I think that's a, that's I think that's the biggie, and that's why I think the improv scene, just from I mean, I'm only going from f- social media, but I think that's where the improv scene um needs to kind of challenge an assumption, which is that socially distanced improv or physically distanced, I should say won't be fun and the improv scene seems to have fallen in and I'd say theater as well seems to fall into this rut which is like oh it's sorry that was me being dramatic <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is not possible that won't be fun we can't do this and that seems to be the default of you know a huge chunk of theater and comedy and and, and improv but then it, but then again, you're seeing other people being like quite innovative about it. And I think that's what we have to be. We have to look at innovation, but also challenge the assumption that it's not fun anymore. Cause I don't, I just really don't think that's true. I don't, I can't see why uh, improv having a bigger distance between players. I think that eventually won't be that big a deal. That's my prediction for the midterm is that there'll be short term, the same way we had to adapt to online improv. Um, it might feel odd at first, but I think, people adapt to online improv very quickly, like literally within one workshop. So I think when we do bring courses back, we're going to have like this add on class at the start just to help people adapt to the fact that you're not as close together as you were. But I have to say, as an improv teacher, students weren't very close together anyway. Like, you know, you have to try really hard to get people to not be two metres away. Like two metres was literally their normal distance until you said, maybe try and get closer together in place to make more emotional. Like, you know, I think people remember it differently from how it actually was. I think they remember sitting on each other's laps and snogging each other. But that really was not the case. It was like the, the default improv scene unless worked upon was pretty much two people stood at a distance, like stood looking at each other. It was very safe. Um, I used to call it the English safe party, safe party distance. And, you know, after a lot of improv, I'd be like, notice that so these are usually falling into the English safe party distance, which is you go, you get, And, like, in a big room, that was about two, two metres. <laughs> Whereas I think the improv scene has just conjured up two metres as being some massive distance, like the width of a swimming pool or something, where you you can barely see this person as a, a speck or in the distance <laughs> that you have to... And that when you speak, it takes a delay for the sound to. It. It's like... It's really not that long. And the thing is, like, I think also by the time we come back, because we're not coming back in July and August, even though we legally could, but we're always taking, like, a kind of whatever the government says plus uh, an extra safety precaution approach. Um, I think the thing is people, like, are used to this. Like, there's, uh, you know, people are meeting up in parks. They are, some people are going to pubs. Uh, um, People are going shopping. They're used to talking to people. Like, there's... People are getting used to this, and um, and the thing is, like, improv was socially distanced anyway. So, like, before the crisis, all improv was socially distanced. It just wasn't consciously socially distanced. So, we we have a social distance a barrier between us, right? So, when you look at a toddler, they have no social distance. Like, like they will climb upon their their mum to try if they're younger to try and breastfeed. Um, my toddler Jack. Um, will quite happily like, just climb on me and use my belly as a trampoline. This is like, one of his favourite games. Um, a complete stranger, he'll just like climb up their leg and sit on their lap while eating a, a piece of chocolate. And they'll hug and just fall all over each other at soft play and stuff. So like a toddler, you're not really born with any concept of distance between people. I think that's a kind of learnt thing. So I think it comes from at some point in your life you you, you might have been shouted out for getting too close to someone or, or mocked for you know being cl- too close to a friend and, and it felt weird and like you know or that's what feels safe and we get quite used to being like what is a personal space and we, we only go into that if it's kind of like you know someone we've trust or it's approved or, um and whatnot and um and like i said that used to happen at, because of that that was in improv workshops anyway like you know you didn't you didn't really have a problem with people like sitting on it on people unasked for or uh, people wouldn't really get into each other's personal space unless that was actually the deliberate aim of the workshop which funny enough you would do sometimes to get emotions out of people um so i think all what's happening now is we're kind of recalibrating what our subconscious personal space is and kind of upgrading it from what i would say would used to be a meter actually to, to to two meters it's not that big a leap so my prediction for short to midterm, as, as in the next year or so, is um, is I, I don't think socially distanced improv will feel weird. I think it will take one workshop to get over it. Um, and I think after that, it'll be fine. Um, I think I, and that'll become part of the job of the directors and teachers as well, is to, what I'll be aiming to do when we, when we come back in real life, is to, you know, help people feel more emotionally connected than they did ever before in improv, because I be like that's, Kind of a, a good thing to aim for. So, um, I and I think you know it might be quite interesting because rather than just picking up emotional cues from eyes and face, it'll be picking up emotional cues from like the whole body, um, and like that will take more of a uh, of an impact. And I think there'll be more scope for character work um, and uh, and things like that. And also for the student, they're going to get they're going to benefit from having smaller class sizes as well. So, you know. You're going to get more time on stage. Uh, so that's my overall aim to is to make things better. When I'm back. Yeah, I want people to be like, oh my god, I can't believe I came back and the social distance improv was more fun than it was a year ago. Like, if, if anyone says that, I know that I've uh, achieved something. <laughs>
0: and art, art, art is about restrictions. You know, <laughs> it's, it's about what you can't do and that enables you to create other things in other ways. And you know, learning to, um, you know, learning to improvise online. I'm thinking particularly of doing musical improv. Uh, it's, it teaches you to be a much better improviser, to listen, to give space. So, you know, it may turn out that the restrictions that we've had as a result of this physical distancing actually helps us become better improvisers in the long run.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I've got another example just to, to back you up with, with that point. Um, like So, back in the day, I can't remember exactly what year, but there was um, pretty much any podcast I'm on, I always end up talking about Joseph Grimaldi, um, He was this, uh, one of London's most famous clowns a couple hundred years ago. And uh, he was performing where uh, you had normal theatres where you could put on a play, there weren't very many of those, but there was a lot that weren't licensed to have a script, like they weren't allowed to speak on stage, like legally, for some unknown reason, they weren't allowed to speak. So, it's uh, so like the origins of music hall. And so you have a play, but there are no words, it's where, that's where the original pantomime was, was from. Um, and they're in theatres, so it's before they had electric lights or spotlights, so sort of candlelight, um, or gas lights a bit later. Uh, no words, musically underscored, huge stage, huge theatres, completely packed, everyone drinking and talking all the way through it. Um, so that was their restriction So because of that, they became very good at expressing with their body, um, at least to study almost what each shape of the body meant. Um, so kind of using a bit of commedia de latte and, um, and physical theater, they were able to portray emotions at a distance. That's um, where like melodrama span out from that as well. Um, so it's able, and a bit of ballet, I suppose, as well, being able to kind of tell a story Emotionally at a distance, um, and for them back then, two meters between the actors would have been nothing. That would have been close because the mm. stages were huge. And like, you know, he was trained to like walk on and silence a whole crowd. Would just be like, you know, just know what's happened in the story just by the look of him. And I think, I think that's one thing we could get out of this now is that physical theater and character by shape will be will be interesting. Can you project your emotions and feelings? to your scene partner across a wider space? Anyway, I think the answer to all this is yes. I don't know. I, I don't personally... <laughs> it just comes back to me as though well. it's like, two meters isn't very long. If you measured it out, it's not... Like, it's the width The width of my desk I'm sat at is one meter. I'm just like, so I've got to talk to someone two desks away. That's not really a big deal. So the argument of, like, improv can't come back with social distancing in place is just not true, I I think. I think it's a kind of, like weird assumption that the arts fall into sometimes. I mean, improv years ago, before it was a bigger thing in London, a lot of people were like, improv will never be a big thing in London or England because it's not in the British culture. It's more of an American cultural thing. And like, luckily a bunch of us were like, I think this is bullshit. I think this is just a (laughs) bullshit assumption (laughs) that if you choose to accept it, it just really limits your ambition of what you can do as a company or, or with improv. And I think the two-meter thing is, is, is another assumption that the improv scene is gonna to have to climb out of, which is like let's assume that t- let's not assume it, let's not assume that socially distanced improv is not fun. Let's assume it's more fun. Um that's a helpful assumption. I'm gonna assume coming back when we do an announce when we're back, which I'm working on this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna just <laughs> loudly assume, I'm gonna be like I'm I assume that. Bigger from smaller class sizes and and like bigger gaps between actors will be tons more fun than it ever was before. Like that's my um, assumption. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that that will help. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. The uh, the answer is yes. The answer is improv. <laughs> yeah. Tons more fun in the future. <laughs>
1: Yeah, tons more fun, and, we're, and we'll work it out. And we're, I, think, I don't think safety, like, oh, we on a podcast, but I'm, holding, I'm talking to over the scene. So straight. I'm holding up two hands. I think I think at the moment there's this sort of feeling that they're safe in this hand, and there's fun. And the more safe we are, the less fun we have. Or we have fun, but it's unsafe. So that's, what, it's pretty, that's kind of what it used to be before, if I'm honest, isn't it, right? You know, you'd be like, room, <laughs> where everyone's still at the sides, kind of a little bit unsafe, but really fun. Whereas now, actually, everyone, <laughs> they just seem to realise it's not on any sort of balance and, like, you can be really safe and have have loads of fun. Uh, you know, I see these photos going around the internet of, like, theaters they who've ripped out their seats to left this massive void of seats between them. And it all looks really clinical and depressing. And everyone's like, oh, this is, this, this is where theatre's going. And I'm like put something between the seats. Like, empty space. <laughs> you could literally put just tables. It's like, they're not exactly, it's not like a brand new invention, like a table, like, you know, cabaret seating with a place where you can put your drink. So when Hitler's shows come back, it's just really easy. It's just like, yes, there's going to be less of an audience. I mean, luckily, our shows don't make us money anyway. So it's like, they don't have to, we're not as hang up on the profit of the shows as like the West End. So I think the small scale theatres and amateur theatres as well, you know, we, you can open with like less civil audience. And it, uh, we're going to aim to like not have that be cold and clinical for them. We're going to aim to have it more fun for them. So, you know, you know, oh wow, there's a table you can put your pint on. Wow. You can see the stage. There's no one in your way. I saw like, there's some cafe in, in, um, I know in France, I think. And they filled up the gaps with a teddy bear on each seat. And I thought that was a really funny idea. Like say, so, yeah, we could do stuff like that. And, um, like aim for it to be more like a cabaret feel than a kind of pa fringe theater feel, but again, this is I think this responsibility of um of like comedy and theater and improv scene is to make sure that that that's safe um, and fun you increase both of them not just not just the one uh, and I think it's totally possible
0: brilliant well, that sounds like a worthy. A worthy (laughs) goal for the future. Thank you very much for being a guest again on the Improv London podcast.
1: Thank you for having me again. Um, I really appreciate it, Um, and uh, lovely to see your face. In case you're looking at home, I'm on Zoom, so I can see through it right now, which is a a, a treat. I'm stroking your face through (laughs) it. Oh, thank
0: you, thank you. Stroking, stroking yours. Uh, uh, Thank you very much. That's been brilliant. Thank you. All right.
1: See you soon, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. That's (laughs)
0: This.
1: That's improv, <laughs> That's improv.